Love what you hear? Be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, and even our D&D adventure. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we develop and produce the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Jesse Reiners. And I am your host, Alex Kendall. And today we are going to be talking about the Caped Crusader, the Dark Knight himself. We are going to be diving into Batman Arkham Asylum. (laughs) Yeah, so we are jumping into the... Some might even say like the first true Batman game following the Nolan series mm-hmm. and the Nolan Batman of, you know, who is this? What's the story behind it? And giving a look at one of the better third-person combat systems to come out in this era. Mm, yeah, and see so many games since then be influenced by it and kind of leave its mark, as you said, just with the combat system alone. Mm-hmm. That leads into you know so many interactions with different DC villains and characters mm-hmm. throughout the story, as well as leading into several different titles that have followed as sequels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And seeing... You know what we'll talk about in a minute is that this really is was one of Rocksteady's very first games, and yes. they kind of came out of the gate running with it. it mm-hmm. It's awesome to see. But let's talk about Batman: Arkham Asylum itself. Batman: Arkham Asylum is a third-person action adventure game putting players in the boots of the Dark Knight. It was released August twenty-fifth, two thousand nine, developed by Rocksteady Studios and published by IDOS Interactive. In the opening of the game. Batman takes his greatest enemy, the Joker, to be locked up in Arkham Asylum. But something is wrong. The Dark Knight suspects the Joker was caught too easily and is planning something sinister. And he is right. The Joker takes over the asylum with the help of Blackgate prison inmates that were transferred to Arkham. Batman must crisscross his way through the island and discover what the clown prince of crime is planning. And as we'd said, this game is developed by Rocksteady Studios, Mm -hmm. who is a British video game developer based in London, England, founded on December 13th, 2004. Rocksteady started work on their first project, Urban Chaos Riot Response. After a year of development, the game was released and was unfortunately met with mixed reviews. Rocksteady would start to work on various prototypes using the Unreal Engine 3. Most at the studio were huge fans of this engine and wanted to see what they could do with it. These prototypes would catch the attention of publisher Eidos Interactive, who had just recently acquired publishing rights to Batman, and were looking for a developer to create the game. Since Eidos had published Urban Chaos, 
they already had a working relationship with Rocksteady. I think Rocksteady, after Urban Chaos, they, they kind of really wanted to prove themselves more as a studio. Your first game is kind of ass. So they're like, okay, let's take the Unreal Engine 3. Let's just, just work on some kind of game mechanics that will mm-hmm. catch some someone's attention. And luckily it did. And this is where it gets interesting because we're going to go back just a little bit to essentially what would have been this Batman Arkham Asylum game. So Arkham Asylum was a game that rose from the ashes of a failed Batman The Dark Knight game. This adaptation of Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight was set to release around the same time as the movie. Originally developed by Pandemic Studios and set to be published by EA, the game would have been an open world, allowing Nolan's Batman to roam freely in Gotham. In an interview with the Dark Knight actor Gary Oldman, he revealed that the game was in development, which EA was trying to keep a secret. This public knowledge of the game is what put pressure on Pandemic to release the game on time. However, Pandemic was not able to have a game ready by the time the movie was released, and thus the game was canceled. The reason that Pandemic was not able to deliver the game on time was due to several unfortunate factors. Senior designers at the studio had never worked on a game like this before, and several months into developing the game, they were informed that it was going to be a tie-in for the movie itself. Thus, they had to scrap most of the game that they had already created and started from scratch. It was all essentially downhill from there. So this was just an unfortunate situation where... Mm -hmm. Even there wasn't even any communication. It was they start making a Batman game. Okay. Oh, this actually is a tie in to Nolan. So they had to restart. And honestly, you know, we had a Batman Begins game and it kind of had bad reviews. So people were kind of glad that we didn't get a Dark Knight game as well. Well, especially one that was not, you know, one that was just a tie in to the, to the movie. We've had mm-hmm. several of those where they do a game tie into the movie that's more of just a marketing piece. It's typically like a simple platformer or mm-hmm. simple mechanics that are just mm-hmm. quickly scrapped together to get something out the door. Absolutely. And we're seeing that less and less in modern days, but before it was just kind of reskin something, throw it out there, mm-hmm. say the cool lines from the movie, and you've got people hooked. You'll be lucky if you get the original voice actor or you know original actors to come in and do voiceover. Half mm-hmm. the time they didn't, so then it's like this weird disconnection. Yeah, that's somewhat it's almost a lot of the times giving you a summary of the movie <laughs> yeah, or an idea around it, never telling yeah. you a new story, but telling something similar. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, this failure of a project led to a $100 million loss for Electronic Arts, and Pandemic ended up letting a 1,000 employees go over it. Publisher IDOS Interactive acquired the rights to Batman after EA opted out of renewing it. IDOS would run with the rights, and that is when they found Rocksteady. IDOS approached Rocksteady with one simple question. What would you do with Batman? The publisher was giving the studio the opportunity to develop a Batman game that had no ties to any existing comics or movies or memorabilia or anything that was out there. Shortly afterwards, Rocksteady created a presentation for IDOS on what they would do with a Batman game, and the partnership would begin from there. There were some risks in developing a superhero video game since, at the time, Many developers and publishers did not see the value in superhero games as Eurocom's Batman Begins video game was met with mixed to poor reviews. Mm -hmm. IDOS Interactive acquired the rights to the game in 2006. 
Pre-production for the game would start in May of 2007 with about 40 members of Rocksteady, then going into full production in September 2007 with around 60 members working on the game. With the Unreal Engine 3, the team was able to start working on gameplay from day one. Now, from the beginning, the studio knew that they not only wanted to highlight Batman's strengths, but his detective abilities as well. Hence why this game, in my opinion, is split into two parts, is detective mode and then just you going balls-to-walls fighting mode. Rocksteady did not want to look back at dozens of older Batman games for any kind of inspiration, instead tackling it like it was the first Batman game ever created. They even avoided seeing any of Nolan's The Dark Knight until their Batman and Joker had been created. Batman games in the past were sometimes more light-hearted version of The Dark Knight's adventure. Arkham Asylum meant to break that mold. The studio wanted a game that showed the worst night of Batman's life, a night where he would face some of Gotham's most ruthless killers and his greatest foes. The studio also wanted to make a hyper-realistic game, blending comic book characteristics to some of the enemies and the world around Batman. The setting of Arkham Asylum would blend aspects of gothic, art deco, and Victorian designs into Arkham Asylum. They did run into issues on the console version of the game when it came to displaying the amount of detail they wanted in it, but were able to push the Unreal Engine 3 to its limits in order to accomplish this. And I think it works because you do have that gothic horror aesthetic with the music Mm -hmm. and the architecture and even some of the villains that gives off, in my opinion, I would compare this more in terms of like that gothic feel to more of the Tim Burton movies and like even say the Nolan movies. I would agree with that because it takes it takes more of that that dingy grungy mm-hmm. element of the city and of asylum kind of combining it all into one. Absolutely. And making this island kind of this hellhole for him. And it's it's mm-hmm. almost it's almost kind of like a full scarecrow nightmare at all times. Yeah, yeah. In, in a way of, of seeing these things and how the city reacts and the guards and anyone who's still surviving on it and you know there's not really any shining lights on here. Mm, no. And, and you do see in some Batman uh either comics or or through the TV shows there's not too much lightheartedness either. Mm, no, it's it's other than like with the obvious Joker and Harley Quinn, it's very serious all the time. Mm-hmm. Batman is just trying to stop them. Yeah, and and as you had said, the worst night of his life, he feels like he's always trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. He, he never feels like he's on top or that he is someone who should really be looked up to because it was kind of his fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he brought the Joker in and then was like, this doesn't seem right. And then it just, yeah, he unleashed the Joker into the asylum. Mm-hmm. And the Joker obviously had been playing this the whole time with the Arkham, or the uh, prisoners being transferred over to Arkham, mm-hmm. having everyone in that one super prison allowed for basically the super paradise of super villains. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I like how you phrase that. Very super. <laughs> and what also is super is how they really developed and created the character design of, of Batman. Mm-hmm, and, absolutely. And who is Bruce Wayne? So concepts for Batman went through about 10 to 15 different conceptions. Mm-hmm. Batman's look would start with heavy inspiration from Jim Lee's Batman, a strong, well-trained character. The Joker's inspiration would avoid any and all live-action versions of the character and rather take many characteristics from the killing joke. Rocksteady would work with Wildstorm, uh, it's an imprint of DC Comics, Yeah. To help with the concepts and designs of the characters. And and a lot of those concepts make their way into the game as in the character profiles. Yes. So that's why you get that comic book feel for all of those because they literally had 
a comic book company working on these character concepts. Mm -hmm. And bringing it to that so that you can get your 3D artist to take the imprints and ideas Mm -hmm. of it, build your character out, but still leave those cool clues behind and the art and everything else that went into creating that character. Absolutely. And Rocksteady wanted this game to stand out to not only gamers, but Batman fans. This effort led them to bring on Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill, and Arlene Sorkini to reprise their iconic roles respectively as Batman, the Joker, and Harley Quinn. Both Conroy and Hamill are very passionate about their roles in the Batman universe, and they were thrilled to reignite their characters' rivalry in this medium. Unlike the television roles that Hamill and Conroy have played, where they recorded at you know the exact same time within uh-huh. uh, on stage or, or wherever they're, they're obviously acting, the two would record alone for two eight-hour sessions apiece. And Mark Hamill was performing his lines so well that Rocksteady wrote more lines for him to record. You know, he, he's he's just fifth, like he is the Joker. Yeah, if if you want to talk about you know, there's that debate. You know, there's no doubt about it. He really uh, made the character what it is, mm-hmm. especially in the animated universe. And yeah, they just said they're like he he would run out of lines, and they just wanted to keep going. So it's like okay, uh, uh, more lines, write more lines for him to do. Well, Hamill even loved it because when it came to revisiting his role as the Joker, he would state, "Quote in Arkham Asylum, since it wasn't based on the animated version, it was as nasty and gnarly as it could be, since it was aimed for an older audience. So it gave me a way to justify the Joker. And again, I just love challenges. Mm-hmm. And he came up with that, you know, bringing these lines to the Joker and allowing him to expand out." To not just be like, oh, batty boy, what's going on? <laughs> batty boy. <laughs> exactly, batty boy. He can really bring a lot of that darkness and cruelty mm-hmm. and fealty to it that you're not really seeing in the cartoon or any of his other works as the Joker. And now he can kind of fully flesh that out in this new universe. Yeah, because I, I, I recently I recently rewatched some of uh, the Dark Knight animated series. Mm-hmm. And it is still, it is a kid show. It's a little darker, but it's still... Not as, you know, as I said, gritty yeah. as this. And something that's uh, I, I do want to point out is that Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill weren't fans of how they did record this first game. Mm-hmm. Because typically voiceover work for this show, as you had said, they were both in a room next to each other recording so they could vibe off of each yep. other. They couldn't do that for this. And so I think Kevin Conroy at one point was like, yeah, I, I, like he kind of said it was like miserable for like eight hours a day recording the booth would get hot. So I believe for Arkham City, they they did you know, both of them in the room. I think, yeah, I think that's what it was. Because whenever you do sound design or character plays like this, typically, if it's an animated thing or a game, you're kind of just recording your lines. Mm-hmm. There are obviously times when that's not about, but you want the crispest audio possible. Mm-hmm. So you just do like one booth by themselves. But it makes sense, especially when you're feeding off this already uber established relationship just from years and years of having Batman and the Joker, mm-hmm. you need to have that riff off of it. Because otherwise, you're just having someone in the sound booth go, okay, now read line 234, uh, the Joker attacked, and uh, you're scared. Yeah, because it, it's you can, in that instance, you can see each other's facial expressions. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're communicating with each other. Yeah. Like, you're, you're, you're not just doing voiceover. You're, like, embodying these characters. Well, just to take it to the side, uh, take you and I right now, you know, mm-hmm. being able to be in the same room and riff off each other and talk notes and mm-hmm. and have that. It's much easier than some of the times we've recorded uh, uh, other media uh, separate, mm-hmm. you know, o- over Zoom or anything like that. It's just so disjointed not having you here to be able to physically see mm-hmm. body movement, see how you respond to things, talk about things. Yes. So, yeah, so 
tiny tangent, tiny sample for that. But even think in your own lives, it's just so much easier to be in person with someone. Yeah. So luckily, as we get over to city, we definitely have that involved into mm-hmm. it. But I got to say, I think they still knocked out of the park. Absolutely. Being this. in two, two different parks, obviously, just two different home <laughs> runs. But hit them both at the same time. All I got from this is Alex likes having me here. You heard it here first, folks. I like having you here for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> but but one thing I, I love not only about this game is the character design's amazing, but the story as well. Mm-hmm. Rocksteady brought in DC Comics writer Paul Dini, who was previously a producer for Batman the Animated Series, uh, to help write this game. Mm-hmm. By the time Dini was brought in, the initial concepts of having the story set at Arkham Asylum, uh, especially on the island, had been bouncing around for a while, which Dini was all for because it was a pretty original concept. DC would also let the studio do essentially whatever they wanted with the characters or the events of the game. Nothing was really off limits. And for the most part, meetings between DC and Rocksteady were extremely positive. And every time they had something new to present to DC, DC loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least from what I read, there wasn't too much where they're like, you can't do that. It's They're establishing a new Batman universe. Yeah. So like, why can't they do any of this stuff? Now, Rocksteady would dive deep into the lore of Batman, purchasing stacks of comic books to immerse themselves into the character and his adventures throughout the years. The studio would focus on reading Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on Serious Earth, and the Frank Miller and Neil Adams stories. With this, they would put as much Batman history as they could into the game, ranging from the main story to a multitude of cameos and Easter eggs. The studio wanted to add all the villains from the universe that they felt were the coolest. And that would challenge Batman in every aspect of his not only combat, but detective capabilities. Those added villains were put in knowing fans of Batman would appreciate them. Many of the Easter eggs and extra content in the game were put in simply because the studio had grown to love the Batman lore. So, you know, you, we have the main villains in mm-hmm. there, but they're like, let's let's start adding that Black Mask cameo or or that, that Clayface cameo. Like, that's because they, they really just wanted to do it. When you fall in love with the characters, especially some of those villains that are kind of the hardcore nerdy ones of knowing Batman, mm-hmm. you know, knowing these little things like Calendar Man or anything like that, knowing mm-hmm. those little nuances of just things you've never seen in the main line, mm-hmm. but you've read in the comics or you've heard about or you've seen Absolutely. in some of the different pieces of DC lore. And I think adding that too as just really appreciating what it is and being like, oh, I can't wait for them to find you know, this little thing. If you go this way, this way, this way, unlock this thing, mm-hmm. you can find this character or something about it and people are going to freak. Absolutely. And one thing that you know, I, as I had talked about that we did freak out about a bit <laughs> was the quality of the combat. And combat was honestly a huge struggle for this studio. They thought fighting is easy for Batman, so shouldn't it be easier for the player? They needed to make the combat seem as smooth as possible while still feeling as if, you know, the Dark Knight is vulnerable, but Mm -hmm. it is Batman. Yeah. So he should be able to kind of beat up and keep alive these people (laughs) as much as keeping alive of them as it is. And to, you know, to have the ability to be taken out, Batman Mm -hmm. can have that. But to be so over the top and rambunctious with these that you should be able to beat, you know, every goon on the street. Absolutely. And the combat system that we see in the the final game is actually the third iteration that they worked through. Yeah. 
And when it came time for Rocksteady to demo the game for IDOS, they were still uncertain as to whether or not this game was going to be successful. The demo started with two IDOS employees in the room watching the gameplay. Every few minutes, though, one of the employees would run out and grab someone else to come into the room and watch that demo. By the end of it, over 50 people were crammed into this room, watching the demo in pure amazement. This is when Rocksteady thought, I think we got something here. Yeah, because it could have, you know, you had two guys in suits, you know, going, okay, do we like this or not? And then they're like, oh, my God. And the fact that it, it like, kind of like with Mortal Kombat, all of a sudden you have mm-hmm. a bunch of people watching this and cheering. Like, same with this. They're just running and getting more people. Like, have you seen this yet? Have you seen this yet? Like, let's watch this. Because it, it, it's cool that they were able to Im- impress the publisher that much. Yeah, and, and, and to really get people in on this game and knowing, you know, you never know when you're creating something if the public's going to like it, if your friends are going to like it, mm-hmm. or how it's going to turn out. So obviously having this was, was, was a big push and a big push for them to keep going at this game and knowing we've got this, we just need to put the polish on it and get something out to the, mm-hmm. to the people. Yeah, because, you know, once IDOS gives them their seal of approval, then the workload uh, increases heavily. Mm-hmm. Rocksteady had 10 times more animations in the game than they had in any other title that they worked on. Many of the regular enemies were animated using motion capture, while a number of the supervillains were hand-animated to capture a feel of abstract in their movements. This was the first game that Rocksteady used mocap on and built their own studio for it. Most of the animators did the mocap themselves for the characters that they were working on since they knew exactly what they wanted out of the movement. But Mm -hmm. I believe that it was a martial arts expert that had actually worked on uh, or worked as Harley Quinn. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why, yeah, it's very much so she has that fluent movement throughout the game. It's because it's. Yeah, much more of kind of the flipping and jumping mm-hmm. and much mm-hmm. more of the aerodynamics as opposed to, you know, having the brutes on the ground or yes. fighting any of the bosses that have their own hand-animated ways of movement and gestures. Yep. Now, originally the game was set to release June of 2009, but IDOS would announce just a month before the game's release that it would be delayed due to the fact that the game simply wasn't done yet. Luckily, the game was only delayed a few months. Rocksteady was able to pull through, and the game was officially released August 25th, 2009, with just a little over two years of production. If players got their hands on the game before it released, you know, pirating it, the game would fight back and hinder their playthrough, mainly not allowing Batman to glide. You know, there is a section in the game where Batman has to glide over poisonous gas for long stretches. So many players who got their hands on early copies of the games basically couldn't get that far into it. And one player would go on an IDOS forum to ask if anyone else were unable to glide in these sections. An admin on the site told him it was an anti-pirate measure, stating, quote, It's not a bug in the game. It's a bug in your moral code. Got him. (laughs) Batman's cape took some time to get just right. You know, when it came to the physics... The studio often referred to it as its own character. One developer worked on the cape for two years, and by the end of those two years, the cape would have over 700 animations and sound clips, which is like one of the... I just remember when I first saw some trailers for this, that was the biggest thing everyone was talking about. I was like, that cape looks great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny just... 
<laughs> that's the standout thing from everything else. But it still it shows and like they improve upon it throughout the, the rest of the series. Well, it's very tough. It's very tough to animate something like that that has to be fluidly moving mm-hmm. in a piece of fabric. Uh, in today's standards, fabric 3D animations have become much, much easier. Mm-hmm. But you have to make sure that it doesn't glitch through Batman, fly around on, on its own. And it has to have so many different points of access that mm-hmm. it has to be able to feel clean and feel part of Batman and not just this tacked on thing on his back. Yeah, because, I mean, look at the the cape physics from the Batman Begins game. It's night and day. But what's interesting is that Day One Studios developed a prototype for a video game adaptation of Gotham by Gaslight around 2009 or 2010. But the game never saw the light of day. The game was said to share many similarities with Arkham Asylum and some people were actually thinking that they were somehow like getting looked behind the rock steady curtain and mm. stealing ideas. Cause we've seen that before with like say thief and dishonored or uh hellblade and God of war. Like mm-hmm. it's just these coincidences that happen. Cause they're kind of in the same setting, same setting, same feel, same mm-hmm. kind of look. And especially if you're going off mythos, then it's a lot of similarities in the ideas that are around what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of tough to piece off of that. And, it, and it's always funny because you have games like that that come out right around the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there's like legitimately like, did they, did they like hack our email? Like what's going on? Because mm-hmm. even if you, if you watch some of the Gotham by Gaslight uh, footage, it's kind of like the cape really stands out and everyone's like, Wait, who stole the cape from who? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and even some people were like, "Rock said he stole their cape idea," essentially. But it, nonetheless, it's something interesting to point out that it's just a coincidence that happened. But we may never know. We may never know. Uh, okay, I'm assuming it's a coincidence. I think Jesse's in on it. Jesse's on Cape. Jesse's in Cape Gate. All right, we're done with this episode. Please, uh, Je- uh, I- Jesse, I'm pausing it. Jesse, Jesse is the head of the Cape Gate <laughs> fiasco. <laughs> let's dive out from there and let's talk about Rocksteady, the studio that made it, the studio that beat out Gaslight and day one <laughs> and made their game. And some of that was due to marketing. Mm-hmm. Now, Rocksteady was still a newer company. And as such, they had a lot riding on this game. And the marketing for this was somewhat unconventional since it did not have the biggest budget. The game would have some teaser trailers in 2008 before its debut launch trailer in 2009, highlighting not only the game's Victorian Gothic setting, but reviews about the game as well. You know, mm-hmm. splashing across the screen and talking about 10 out of 10, Game Informer. Yeah, you know? seeing how, how fluid it is, how it's working. Mm-hmm. Uh, another piece they had were the key cards. Now, key cards for Arkham Asylum employee Frank Bowles were found scattered around Comic-Con 09 and various Best Buy locations. These cards had a phone number, 1888-ARKHAM, and website Arkham Care listed on the back. So I've tried to find these, like, online, like, on eBay or something, because mm-hmm. it, it's literally just, like, a key card. If, if someone knows where to find these, let me know, because I love out-of-the-box marketing like that, where... It, because I remember finding a forum where someone's like, what is this? Mm. And no one knew because it was like really before anyone knew what the game was. So just imagine just like you're just going to Best Buy and just like open a box, throw it, and then run out immediately. And then the janitor just cleans them all up and throws them away. You'd be a terrible marketer. But <laughs> but but yeah, I just love the idea that it was just like such a secretive thing to just spread these key cards around. And people are finding them like, 
the hell is this? Mm-hmm. Like that's so cool. I love it. And and it works. It works well for those things because mm-hmm. the website actually worked over at Arkham Care, which you know this is the faux website created as the official website of Arkham Asylum. Now Arkham Care was kind of the subsidiary that was the one that was the doctors there saying, oh, mm-hmm. we're taking care of these patients. Yes. You know, they're basically treating it like a retirement home. Mm-hmm. If, you looked, if you looked at, like, screenshots of the website, it's like, we're taking care of them. They'll be so good. <laughs> it's amazing. And, and it makes Arkham Asylum look very bright yes. and clean, and that's not the case whatsoever. Yes. It, it takes the feel of how insane asylums were treated, at least in the U.S. standards, as – oh, they're going to a better place, we're going to take care of them, but realizing the atrocities and horrors that were actually there in real life that happened Mm -hmm. to a lot of people. So taking that same kind of mismatch idea and applying it here. Mm -hmm. Now, players could navigate the site and using those employee logins that you could find with the card and Mm -hmm. other things that would allow you to get in, you could actually navigate the files. It also had graphics showing safety precautions one would have to take when visiting Arkham Asylum. You know, we've got to keep you safe. Yeah, because it's like if an inmate breaks out, this is what you do. It's like written like legitimately like it, they probably reference some real life uh, articles about this, you know, from other mental institutions. So it, well, I'm assuming a lot of it just stems from any work hazard book because mm-hmm. that's the same type of deal. If a riot breaks out because we had that at all the other jobs I had. Um, you basically show you what to do in the building. Oh, Walmart didn't care. They're like, right. well, it's Walmart. <laughs> we didn't get into that kind of training. They're just like, well, it's it again. It's Walmart. <laughs> this is true. But next on the list, we do have the GameStop contest. So GameStop would hold a contest, allowing one lucky winner to have their face featured in the game. The winner, Luke Oliver, had his face featured as an inmate in the penitentiary cell, and his name was on the list of uh, Harley Quinn's party attendance, essentially. Because mm-hmm. uh, she's going and freeing a bunch of the uh, the super inmates, I believe what they call them, or super criminals, and his name is on there as well. So that's pretty cool to be like, I'm literally in the game. Yeah, and, and to give you an idea of the inmate with one arm free, if that makes any sense, so when Batman's walking through, mm-hmm. there's all these inmates that are reaching out, and that's one of them. He's in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then finally we have the official demo. Two weeks before the game was released, IDOS released a demo for PC, Xbox 360, and PS3. Some reviews would state that the demo was rather easy, but probably due to the fact that it was simply just a demo highlighting the combat of the game mm-hmm. itself. So, sent out, you know, a sem- like, you know, not really difficult. Like, hey, this is kind of how fluid the combat works. I think more so is what they're trying to highlight more than anything. While exploration was expanded upon in later games, the island is fully open to be explored by the player. All of the facilities that Batman traverses through can be revisited at any time. When the enemies in the room are carrying firearms, a direct approach is basically ill-advised. This is when stealth comes into play. Stealth consists of lurking in the shadows to take out armed goons from behind or being perched on a gargoyle, dropping onto them from above. When they don't have guns, however, Batman is free to take out his enemies with good old-fashioned fisticuffs. The challenge in combat doesn't lie with the difficulty of the enemies, rather it can be found in the combos. The longer the player lands blows without being hit, the higher their combo score rises. This leads players to strive for the highest combo they can attain. The combat just isn't simple button mashing either. There are 
different enemy types other than the standard goon, such as those using riot shields, knives, or stun batons that make the combat encounters more varied as players must approach these enemies differently, such as stunning them or jumping on top of them. The player also has access to a variety of gadgets, such as explosive gel, the bat claw, and the classic batarang. These can be used in combat, unlocking new areas, or getting to collectibles that would otherwise be unreachable. You know, you use explosive gel a lot throughout the game, mm-hmm. where you basically take your shaving cream, spray it onto a wall <laughs> in the form of a bat, and you can detonate the wall. So mm-hmm. get, getting through different areas, whether, as I had said, to find collectibles, or, you know, in combat scenarios, you may need to get somewhere else, or kind of a shortcut, or making it easier to get to another area. Mm-hmm. You can take walls out, or take, you know, floors out, to be able to traverse and get behind your enemies. Absolutely. Get up top. Uh, it's It really comes into play during boss battles. Absolutely. Also included is the detective vision, as Jesse had said, kind of that other idea that they had in mm-hmm. mind, which Batman can switch in and out of to find clues in an area, you know, such as vapor trails or fingerprints that will assist him in finding a person or his next objective, as well as being able to see enemies through walls. So you can even take it, like if there's a glass pane, you can kind of hide behind it and grab people and pull them through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that kind of allows you to see a bit more of the game. I know some people thought it felt a little cheaty at times where you can kind of just see everything that's going on. Yeah. But it allowed you to do a lot more maneuverability with Batman, especially in places that have a bunch of walls or pillars. You don't necessarily want to stealth everywhere and then lose your stealth immediately. Mm-hmm. This allowed you to be a little bit more creative and add more into the stealth or those takedowns than otherwise, you know, I think would have been there. Mm -hmm. Enemies will appear blue if unarmed and red if they are carrying a gun. On top of that, Detective Vision will reveal parts of the world that can be interacted with, such as doors or vents, which can come in handy if the player is stuck in a room or, again, trying to do those stealth takedowns. As the game progresses, Batman collects XP, allowing him to upgrade his attack combos and earn more health, armor, and abilities with his gear. While there are no side quests in the game, there's plenty of other content within the game. For example, while he does not appear physically, the Riddler has made his presence felt by placing question mark shaped Riddler trophies around the map and has made riddles which point to certain objects in the room that must be scanned in Detective Vision for the riddles to be completed, which, again, I think it was like one of the biggest factors of replayability for this game. That kept you going in because some areas you couldn't access until you got certain weaponry or gadgets Mm -hmm. and allowed you to go back into those areas because as Jesse had said earlier, the entire island can be navigated Mm -hmm. back and forth through different levels that you've gone through, through different buildings, even after you've already finished what kind of mainline stuff was there. Yeah. You can go back and try to 100% the game. Yeah. And there's also hidden question marks that can only be seen in detective vision that must be scanned. So you have to like line up. Uh, the bottom and the top of them sometimes and find like a certain oh, yeah. area to do. So yeah, because sometimes also... it's like you were saying, like you have to like line a rooftop up with a door, let's say. Mm-hmm. And as you do in detective vision, there's like a spray paint bottom dot of the question mark yeah. on top and then down below is. Yeah, and you have to line those up. And sometimes it's like, you just got to look them up on YouTube because he can't find the right spot. <laughs> There are also Riddler challenges that the player must complete, such as destroying a certain amount of Joker teeth. There are a total of 240 Riddler collectibles and challenges. Once all the Riddler collectibles have been found, there is an audio clip that will play of the Riddler being found and arrested by the police, showing that even Edward Nigma is no match for the world's greatest detective. 
but was it Batman? Because the police arrested him. It's it's kind of the police who did it. Batman takes the PR credit, okay? <laughs> <laughs> now, there are two other forms of collectibles in the game. Interview tapes and Amadeus Arkham ciphers. The interview tapes are recordings of patient interviews with the various inmates in the asylum. These offer deeper glimpses into the characters are and how the asylum conducts itself. Amadeus Arkham ciphers, on the other hand, narrate the story of the asylum's founder. And and those are both of those are really cool. Mm-hmm. So the the Amadeus Arkham ciphers are when he's he I believe he's trying to find out who like murdered his family and how he's the guy who founded the asylum and then eventually becomes an inmate of it. Mm-hmm. And then even more interestingly is with the uh, interview tapes. Harley Quinn's is taken from the audio from that is taken from Mad Love, which is an episode from Batman, the animated series. And that episode was taken from a comic book. So I love they they kept continuing that main storyline and literally brought the audio into the game. And it's fantastic because if you've not heard it before, it's Harley's transition mm-hmm. from being a doctor because that's originally what she was. She's a psychologist, I believe. Mm-hmm who came in and starts to have these conversations with the Joker, who slowly manipulates her and I guess releases kind of this inner psyche that she had anyway mm-hmm. to kind of going along with him and, and and talking about how she was integral in a lot of the planning and stuff that went here because she could play that doctor role. Absolutely. After the game is finished, the player can do a number of combat and stealth challenges. Players get points for speed as well as pulling off various feats, such as taking out enemies with certain gadgets. Mm -hmm. There are three rankings for each challenge map, gold, silver, and bronze. They're achieved by reaching, you know, a certain score that they set per challenge room. Let me tell you, my least favorite part of this, I do not like challenges in games like this. Nope. Uh, I don't. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember if it's city or asylum where you have some where you have to fly through rings. That's a that's a city. That's because I knew city added that in, and that was one of my least favorite things added, where you had to like not touch the ground mm-hmm. and hit certain rings. And there's one over the water. I remember where I was like, yeah. I tried it so many times to get the grappler, it's, or to the to make the. I can't think of the, the fast grappler where you yeah. go fast. Yeah, yep. yeah. So um, this one was more just like those separate challenge rooms where you go, and it's just those combat. things. That's and, right. That's yeah. right. And, and I agree with you. I never did these because to me, like, yeah, the combat was fun, but I wouldn't want to spend. Two hours trying to get a hundred or a hundred hundred hit combo, essentially. Yeah, because that's the thing where you do it. You do them a little bit. You, you start mm-hmm. on them, and you're like, "Oh, this is interesting. We're playing. I'm playing." And you're like, "I'm kind of done with this." Yeah, and they get really complicated too. Mm-hmm. The game contains forty rooms, thirty four corridors, three exterior maps, and three special scarecrow maps. There are 28 Easter eggs in the game that pertain to 28 Batman characters that aren't directly in the game. Characters like the Great White Shark, Humpty Dumpty, Batzaro, and the Ventriloquist. It's really cool to see that. I, again, I am not a, you know, I'm probably, I probably lean more Marvel mm-hmm. for a lot of this, but Batman always sucks me back in. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, I'm the same way, Mm -hmm. exact same way. Like, Batman, his rogues gallery, everything is just awesome. And I think, I think you know, correct me if I'm wrong, audience, I think DC does villains better, but I think Marvel does heroes better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I I can agree with that. Because I I guess, too, when you're talking Batman, even though a lot of the villains may be kind of odd or, you know, off the wall. Gimmicky at times. Gimmicky. They still fit into this humanistic 
mm-hmm. side to it, and they all kind of have a reason they're doing it. Yeah. Whereas in Marvel's universe, it could just be because they're there and now they're super. Yeah, and they want to take over everything. And, and no, that's not a blanket statement, but on the surface, I, I seem to like more, and I, I assume you agree with those DC characters because there's more motivations and they're a lot more interesting. Even like the ventriloquist, like mm-hmm. like such such an odd villain to have and an odd ability that he has with that. Mm-hmm. But it works for some reason. Yeah, like you just believe it. You just like yeah, that's a villain. Yeah, like killer. It's just like and even dumb things like Killer Croc. He was just born that way, so he's just <laughs> yeah, kind like, of upset. You go, yeah, yeah, that's that believable. <laughs> I can see him walking around. <laughs> But but as I said, you know, it the character is amazing, and what's even more amazing, probably my favorite aspect of this game, is the story itself. Now, on a cold fall night, Batman escorts the Joker to Arkham Asylum after catching the villain once and for all. At the same time, an abrupt fire at Blackgate Prison sees the transfer of all the inmates to the asylum as well. Crazy, you know, this happened. Those <laughs> random a... fires, you know how they be. <laughs> Yeah, all of Joker's goons? Mm-hmm. What a coincidence. As the Joker is being admitted, he escapes and with the help of Harley Quinn, takes over the asylum. It's now up to Batman to stop him. As Batman makes his way through the asylum, the Joker's plot starts to unfold. The Joker planned on getting caught and getting <gasps> admitted to the asylum. No. Since he was funding Dr. Penelope Young's experiments to develop a more powerful version of Bane's formula, Titan. Once Dr. Young discovers she was receiving funding for the project from the Joker himself, she refuses to give him the formula. But since the Joker now has full control of the asylum, he easily obtains Titan for himself Mm -hmm. and starts administering it to his own thugs. During the hunt for the Joker, Batman must face Bane, Scarecrow, Killer Croc, and even Poison Ivy after the Joker injects her plants with Venom. So we see that this Venom, which is pretty much the Titan, Mm -hmm. we see him start to use that around on different characters and on his thugs that make kind of these beefy boys that are out there Mm -hmm. that can take a bit more damage or that are just stronger with it. Mm -hmm. Testing this formula until we start to really discover this plot and why he's kind of doing this. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about really quick because we were talking earlier about breaking the fourth wall, is the scarecrow battles. Mm -hmm. Because at one, you battle him three times. What happens is he injects you with his fear toxin, and then it goes into this, like, out-of-body experience where you're in this almost nightmare realm. It's basically Psychonauts, but Batman. Yeah, and he's, you know, you're just avoiding literally being seen by a giant scarecrow. Yeah. Now, the second or third time this happens the game actually pretends to crash. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden you see a bunch of lines go across your screen and everything goes black. And it, like it, it literally acts like it crashes your game. But then what it does, that's just its transition into another Scarecrow nightmare mm-hmm. sequence. I always loved that. And I think it's the only time they really do it in the series. But still, like... It is, because there's nothing else that... And I guess, too, you'd think it'd be gimmicky after that, because you, you can only do that once in your series. Yes. Metal Gear Solid has done something like that, and various other series have attempted it. And you only do it once, because you can only get the player really once. But such a smart loading transition, mm. such a smart idea that, like... Oh, man, my game crashed. I got to redo all of that. When's the last time I save? When's this going to yeah. happen? Only to, as you said, be kind of woken up in this new 
chamber, new area mm-hmm. of Scarecrow's nightmare. Yeah, it was it was absolutely genius. And I did just want to point that out because it's it's so cool that they did that. And I think it's the first time I ever experienced you know, games breaking the fourth wall where I was like, that is genius. That is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. After Batman defeats Ivy and her Titan plants, he makes his way to the Joker's hideout, presented as a party for Batman because he has to walk up and one of Joker's thugs literally stops him and makes sure he's on the party list. Yeah. Essentially. And then lets him in. And as he's walking in, all the inmates are cheering for him and clapping and like excited for him to come in. It's so silly, but I love it because it's very, it's very Joker-esque. Mm-hmm. As the Joker attempts to inject a kidnapped police commissioner, Gordon, with Titan, Batman takes it instead. As Batman resists the transformation, the Joker furiously injects himself with Titan. From there, Batman fights a Titan Joker and finally defeats the Clown Prince of Gotham. As Gotham City police start to take control of the island back, Batman tells Gordon he still has work to do at the asylum. Mm-hmm. And then finally, when the game ends, there are three different versions. One where Croc grabs a floating box of Titan outside the water of Arkham Asylum. One where Bane grabs it and one where Scarecrow does. Now, the canonical ending is Scarecrow, which that's continued later in the series. Correct. Mm -hmm. I think last time I played it, I got the Croc ending. So I remember mm-hmm. like kind of having that swampiness there, like mm-hmm. in there, and yeah. And I will say they they wrote this game with intentions of continuing this series uh, for a trilogy at least, mm-hmm. essentially, which is smart. Now mm-hmm. I, I will say, and we'll talk about this in some of the reception. I am not a huge fan of how the game ended. Mm-hmm. I thought the bo- boss battles kind of lackluster compared to everything else that was in the game. Yeah, it was, and it was such it was, a weird. It it's the only thing that didn't feel Batman. It in the didn't. Game. It felt very fantastical and just like you're fighting a monster gimmicky very gimmicky with it and i I get the idea of it and i'm I'm glad that they tried something different uh but uh, alas let's let's continue on let's talk about the dlc let's talk about what they added into the game post titan joker (laughs) which we start with play as the joker challenge map released day one with the playstation 3 version of the game this map pack contains maximum punishment paging dr joker gutter tactics Administered Pain, Cage Fighter Challenge, Hell's Hacienda, Giggles in the Garden Challenge, and Cavern of Love Challenge Maps. All these maps are played as the Joker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was a big deal is that it, he himself played differently than Batman. It mm-hmm. wasn't, they didn't just switch the skins out. You know, he would, he would, uh, he was a lot more visceral and, and more, I don't know how to describe it. Uh, it there was more, a lot more prejudice when he was fighting with uh or when you were playing as him it's super interesting and you still have the joker gimmicks that go along with it yeah he's much more if you in a way deadly because batman kind of restrains and holds mm-hmm. back whereas the joker is just there to uh, inflict pain do mm-hmm. what he has to do and get his way yeah next we have insane night challenge map pack uh so shortly after the release of the game we got insane night challenge map pack This free map pack was released only a few weeks after the release of the game for the PS3 and Xbox 360 owners of the game. It contains totally insane and nocturnal hunter challenge maps. So these these map packs were like literally the only DLC we got Mm -hmm. because that's just how they kind of kept it relevant until City 
yep. came out. Trying to get you more challenges, trying to get you to just jump back in, do a couple things they're asking you to do, perfect it, mm-hmm. and continue to the next one, which we had Prey in the Darkness map pack. Yep. About a month after the release of the game, this map pack was released for free exclusively for PlayStation 3 users. It contained the Heart of Darkness and Hothouse Prey challenge maps. Europe, however, would receive the DLC on both PS3 and Xbox 360. Yeah, so if it's not obvious there was a uh, PlayStation deal going on yes, with this. Yes, somewhat exclusivity for mm-hmm. it, but obviously released on all the systems. Yeah, and then the last two we have are Crime Alley Challenge Map, which was released May 11, 2010, and it only contains the Crime Alley Challenge Map, and then Dem Bones Challenge Map, released May 11, 2010, only containing that challenge map. Yeah, so we had both those maps released the same day. Instead mm-hmm. of being a partner DLC, you had some individual ones that came out. Yeah. Next up, let's talk about what was taken out of the game. What was cut? What did they feel either made it later in the titles or just wasn't Batman enough? Even though the game features many of Batman's most famous foes, some were left on the chopping block. Most notably, Mr. Freeze and the Mad Hatter, who would later make an appearance in Arkham City. Mad Hatter would have been at the center of the island holding a tea party, but this did not fit the overall tone of the game. No. Freeze was cut because he realistically had no motivation to fight Batman on the island, which mm-hmm. makes sense. Uh, if, if you know his story, he's trying to save his wife and does yeah. all this to do that. So that's his motivation and his motivating factor. There'd be no reason he'd be on this island mm-hmm. uh, for for whatever reason to not try and save her? Yeah, because the most we get are Easter eggs. I know at one point you see Mr. Freeze's cell, which is just, it's it's layers and inches mm-hmm, of ice mm-hmm. outside his cell, as well as a, a Mad Hatter Easter egg. So they still kind of included them. Yeah, along with, like we said, a lot of the lesser foes, we had a lot of the Easter eggs going in there. So a lot was included. Mm-hmm. But again, having a smaller map uh, compared to cities, or compared to cities, excuse me, just made sense to kind of try this out in a sandbox, see what yes. works, see what didn't, just give us a couple foes that are the main ones, and then eventually branch out, you know, as the story continues uh, along with every other game that releases after it. Yes. And now, additionally, the Joker was going to look different for this game. Originally, the Joker's mouth would have resembled Heath Ledger's Joker. His Titan form also would have been spider-like, you know, just... Lanky and big. Make it more lanky and big, whereas in this one, he's kind of a bulky dude. Very very Bane-esque in a way. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think... Silly. Goobery, some might say. (laughs) There also would have been a crazed inmate wielding a blunt weapon. Though this was cut, his severed head could be found in an office. Yeah, so his... His head was also cut from his character itself. It was fully cut. (laughs) Fully cut. The game, as well, was going to be a much more violent video game, showing a lot of blood with Riddler's cell covered in blood he used to write on the walls. Yeah. The blood was changed to paint, and the rest of the blood in the game was dialed back. So it's more so hints and touches of it to kind yeah. of personify damage. Yeah, and like there are a lot more areas where there would have been rooms covered in blood on the ground and they changed it to just a black substance. Mm-hmm. And and they were thinking, you know, it, it's crazy seeing how much blood will go from T to M rating. Yeah. So I think they were wanting to shoot for that, that T for teen rating. Well, they had to. They want to get more of a general audience in here, get the kids in here to punch some people, get the adults mm-hmm. in here to punch some people safely and, and, and with paint, <laughs> but punch them. Yeah, and this is where it gets interesting. So combat was going to be extremely different than what we saw in the game. When fighting characters, punches needed to be timed with musical cues. 
Another version of the combat would have had the player matching colored circles to land attack. So literally... DDR Batman. Yeah, or like Guitar Hero, essentially. Yeah. Like, that's not Batman. Because overall, this was cut because the player didn't feel like Batman. Could you imagine just Batman dabbing on people as he punched behind them? Do, do. Yeah, just, just dab, 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 <laughs> yeah. Batman. Oh, yeah. my God. And if this came out today, you'd have, like, the Batman floss... And like oh. all those other Fortnite dances, I'd play the hell out of that. <laughs> I will say though, if this is how the combat was in the game, it would have failed. 100%. It would have failed. So I'm glad they cut it. Though the Batmobile and the Batwing were also being considered as part of the game, you know, being able to pilot them or or uh, drive them around, mm-hmm. they were cut since the studio wanted the player to focus on being Batman alone throughout the night. We even see that when we get to you know, Arkham Knight, and we do get that. Ugh. It detracts a lot from the gameplay, mm-hmm. at least, you know, as reviewers and as you know, I have, I have played it, it definitely detracted from what we wanted to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I think especially in this first one, focusing solely on Batman and the combat and the detective skills and the narrative was necessary. Absolutely. Because City even improved on that and took, took Asylum, you know, just a notch up. Absolutely. And, and truly improved on what it was, giving the players a bigger base to play in, more villains, more to do, Fleshing out who the Riddler even was, actually mm-hmm. be able to see the Riddler. Yes. Uh, so, so we're 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 setting these ground rules for it, and it's good that they tested a lot of this out at the beginning and either implemented it later in what they thought fit the best, or we just unfor- unfortunately or fortunately did not see it later. Absolutely. Now, most of what Arkham Asylum that Rocksteady envisioned made its way into the game, but a lighthouse and chapel section of the map were ultimately cut. There was also going to be rain present throughout the game, but due to some memory limitations, it was also cut. Luckily, it was added in the Return to Arkham version of the game, Mm -hmm. which is the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 port for it. Finally, there was going to be a Nintendo Wii port of the game. Even though Redfly Studio made a working prototype, it was canceled. It's not really known why it was canceled, and many speculated it was due to the hardware limitations of the Wii. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, it it looked like a standard Wii game because you had to downgrade the graphics mm-hmm. a little bit. But overall, yeah, there, there's no real reason as to why we know of that it was cut. No, and I think in the day and age currently of the Switch, which has a pretty powerful processor, can handle a lot, mm-hmm. you're actually seeing a lot of ports go there from older games that was avoiding the Wii and the Wii U that were finally getting to a Nintendo yeah. console. We d- I believe we did get City or Origins on the Wii U, mm-hmm. and it came with its own uh, uh, gimmicks, but yeah, it's weird to see what can and can't be handled by those earlier Nintendo consoles. Mm-hmm. Let's jump over now. Let's talk about my section, which is where I disappoint myself in <laughs> not owning any of the soundtracks to these games. We're going to be talking about the music and the sound folly and the sound design. Oh, and it's such such a good soundtrack. It is. The Batman Arkham Asylum original soundtrack was a tedious collaboration project between British composer Nick Arundel and American composer Ron Fish. Now, both composers were brought onto the project relatively early in the process, but that did not come without some challenges. Most of the music was recorded in person by Arundel at the Rocksteady studio in London, while Fish worked from his own studio in Los Angeles. Some nights, Fish would work late into the night, sending the tracks over to Arundel right as he was arriving for work the next morning. Despite the time difference and living in two different parts of the world, 
the workflow is actually nearly seamless between the music and the audio teams. Mm -hmm. Arundel and Fish would both look to composers Christoph Penderecki and Almaker Pincelli for their extreme orchestral textures. This influence would lead to much of the soundtrack being written using typical horror music conventions. For the more harmonious and melodic side of the soundtrack, however, digital and synthetic sounds can be heard mixed together with full orchestra, creating a classical yet dark texture to highlight the already bleak world within the game. Partially influenced by Hans Zimmer's Grammy-winning soundtrack to the 2008 Dark Knight film, most of the rhythmic sections from Arkham Asylum's soundtrack are outlined by a synthesized bass line accompanied by a colorful percussion. This choice was made to help embolden the game's outreach to players while also creating cohesion between the entire Batman franchise. Mm -hmm. Another way this was achieved was through the audio team's use of audio clips from the Mad Love episode of Batman the Animated Series with those Harley Quinn audio tapes as we had discussed. Which has been kind of this running bit they've had going, you know, through different written records, audio records of it. So it's it's cool that it's continued this lineage throughout it. And, mm -hmm. it, and it's smart. It's smart to use those clips to tie it into a main series creating their own content. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the Batman Arkham Asylum original soundtrack was released November 14th, 2013, containing 27 tracks for a total of 46 minutes and 32 seconds. This is despite over three hours of music being written and included within the game itself. The soundtrack would go on to be nominated and win awards at prestigious presentations such as the 2009 Academy of Interactive Arts and Science Awards and the 6th Annual British Academy Video Game Awards. So it had a lot going for it in terms of, you know, obviously audio and sound design and the soundtrack. I mean, it had... Just so much of those dark tones that really tied you into that grim, gothic setting. I think of gothic and horror yes. when I listen to this soundtrack. It's and it, and it, it ties in Batman. Like, mm -hmm. that's the thing, is this could stand alone on itself, but it ties in somehow the magic of Batman into this soundtrack that really, you know, cohesively puts it all together. Mm -hmm. and, and even more is what they did not only with, like, say the title theme, which hits so hard when you open up that game and hearing those horns come in. But the sound design throughout this game is, I think, really incredible. Like, whether you're you're going through the halls of Arkham Asylum and you hear, like, the dun-dun-dun-dun, and it's, like, the announcements, mm -hmm. PA, which is, like, burned in my brain. Oh, you as, just brought me back. <laughs> as well as the combat, the Joker teeth, and, and interesting things that they did to accomplish this, like using, um, for the, the Batman gel we talked about, using three cans of whipped cream. That they recorded simultaneously mm. to get that. And I think what they did kind is- Kind of like, thicker tone. They changed some of the pitches as well. So you get like a, a heavy, medium, low. Yeah. But little interesting things that they did to make this game super believable. And it worked enough to have far too many release versions. <laughs> they had quite a bit. Let's go through these for you. You obviously mm -hmm. had your standard version, which came out for the Xbox 360, the PlayStation 3, and the PC. The collector's edition- and this version of the game contains a 14-inch battering, Arkham Asylum Doctor's Journal, behind-the-scenes DVD, exclusive Crime Alley Challenge Map, and a full-color manual, Game of the Year, which was the Xbox 360 Platinum Hits, the PS3 Greatest Hits, and for PC, this version of the game would come with full 3D support and two pairs of 3D glasses, because I almost forgot <laughs> this was the era when we were also selling 3D TVs, mm -hmm. and I was like... 
you're going to wear glasses for the rest of your life. <laughs> Movies will never be the same. <laughs> Movies will look like real life. And then that ended about a couple years later. <laughs> uh, we had returned to Arkham, which we had mentioned, and this version contains both Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. It was released only with a slight delay on October 18th, 2016. The game featured new upgraded graphics on the Unreal Engine 4, as well as, as we had said, bringing that rain back to it. The game also came out with four challenge maps that were previously DLC. Many critics and fans felt that the HD versions of the game were actually a step back in graphical fidelity. And, and there, there's both there's areas because I, I own this. There's mm-hmm. areas that are like you're like, why did they? This looks worse. And then there are some areas that like look better. The ones they focused on look great. The ones are like, ah, oh, we got to do those. They just kind of scrap together. Mm-hmm. It's exactly. my best guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Second to last, we have the Arkham Collection, and this release included Arkham Asylum, City, and Night. There was also a Steelbook edition of the game, and finally, the Mac release, which was released November 2011 by Feral Interactive Limited. But finally, let's talk about the reception and the influence of this game. You know, how... How successful was it? You know, how did journalists and gamers alike perceive this game? And I want to start this out with a quote from producer Paul Dini. Quote, this is Batman the way he is meant to be seen with all the shadows and the freakish villains and all the intensity. Mm -hmm. Though Rocksteady did not have big shoes to fill in terms of previous Batman games, they still had to deliver a Batman game that stayed true to the core of Batman himself and his 70-plus years of history. When the game was released, critics were throwing around the term Game of the Year on a regular basis. It was apparent rather quickly that this was the game that Batman fans had been waiting for. The game debuted at number one on the UK Video Games chart. In just three months, the game sold 2.5 million copies, with the PS3 version outselling the 360 version giving Sony an estimated extra $2 million in revenue at no additional cost. The game would even go on to win the Guinness World Record for most critically acclaimed superhero game ever. This was a record that Guinness essentially made up instantly and rewarded to the game based on the Metacritic score, which was 92 out of 100. So yeah, they that was kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. That everyone's like, yeah, they won this, but... You guys made it for them. You just wanted someone to win this award and saw that and just handed it to them. Well, Guinness does it for a lot of, a lot of stuff. You just got to make <laughs> sure that you can prove it. Yeah. The game would also receive Studio of the Year from the 2009 Video Game Awards and countless Game of the Year awards from other critics. So it was definitely something that stood out in 2009. Now, some members of Rocksteady went to a GameStop about 15 minutes before the midnight release of the game and had to convince the employees there that they had created the game rather than being a few drunk British tourists. They were partying the release. They showed up. Yeah, and they're like, yeah, like, let us in. Like, And they're just like, no, get in line. They're like, we literally created the game because I, I believe they were in America for yes. this. And so, yeah, they, they had to, like, show them identification. Be like, no, we, we, we literally work at Rocksteady. Please let us enjoy this. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> now, the day the game released, game director Sefton Hill opened his laptop before going into the studio and started reading the reviews, still nervous as to what he would find. He was pleasantly surprised to see all the positive feedback. He actually called into the office to share the news, but everyone in the studio was shouting the game's scores to one another, reading review after review, and kind of not caring what he had to say. They're <laughs> so like, dude, dude, we know. Get up here. Yeah. 
It's safe to say the world was on board with Rocksteady's Arkham Asylum. Well, remember, their their first game before this didn't do well. So, like, all of a sudden you get, not only get a game where people are like, yeah, it was a good game. People mm-hmm. are praising this. This, Yeah, this is, this is definitely one that shifted the game mediums that were out there in just terms of combat. Because not only was it good a game, it was a good Batman game. So you had these yes. two things really going for it. And people were pumped. Absolutely. One of the only complaints that would appear from reviewers and critics were that the boss battles were rather lackluster. Rocksteady planned on listening to focus testers even more when it came to creating their next game. After the release of the game, Rocksteady's confidence went through the roof. They were confident that they were going to make a game that topped Arkham Asylum sooner rather than later. Rocksteady was planning on developing the next Batman game, Arkham City, before Arkham Asylum was even released. They had the idea for Arkham City and Arkham Knight during their original pitch to IDOS. You know, I said they're planning seven, eight years in the future. We talked about that in the cut materials. You know, these Mm -hmm. are things they were like, okay, if we can't do it here, we're doing this. And, you know, very much like any trilogies that are out there, like, okay, we need to at least, you know, if we can do one, we can do these. Let's think of a trilogy to put out that can kind of have this whole story arc into it. And what else can we do with it? So they knew pretty much where they wanted to take this if they could get this first game off the ground. Absolutely. Now, to tease this to fans, there is a hidden room in Warden Sharp's office containing plans for Arkham City. Rock said he got anxious that no one had found this secret room almost a year after the release of the game, so they leaked the secret themselves. Mm-hmm. Because you typically, to use the bat gel, you turn on detective vision, and you can see that there's a breakable wall. Mm-hmm. So it has like a little breakable icon, and it's transparent. This wall wasn't transparent. There's no icon. So you would literally, like, for someone to find it, they would just have to do that to random uh, Every wall walls. ever. And there was never any indication in the game that that worked. It was only... If this had that breakable icon and it was transparent, it would work. So, yeah, they literally were so excited, they released, they just leaked it themselves. I love that. I love when people do that with their game. Just, just find our cool things we did. Mm-hmm. One thing that bothered art director David Higo about Arkham Asylum was how some players went through the entire game with Detective Vision on. You know, if you've ever used it, we've talked about it. It basically puts this whole kind of blue, futuristic, blue gray, blue gray tint, tint of mm-hmm. like tech. And since the detective vision was so strong, he felt it took away from the overall visuals of the entire game. The next game would have a more augmented reality feel to it and make it less of that and kind of in the same environment you are and not like a whole different screen you're Mm -hmm. going to. Yeah. The overuse of detective vision in Arkham Asylum made Higo, quote, want to cry a little bit. Uh, yeah, because again, it is, it's very dull. But mm-hmm. then when you go to City, the world is still a lot more vibrant. Yeah, it's, it's more of just the, the, the AR, so it just adds mm-hmm. these elements in while still pretty much keeping exactly what you're seeing mm-hmm. just to change those elements up. Yeah. Now, in 2010, after the release of Arkham Asylum, Warner Brothers would acquire a majority of Rocksteady, taking over the publishing for the next game. And lead narrative director Paul Crocker stated that if DC came to them with the opportunity to work on another DC hero, he would turn them down and say, no, I'm I'm sticking with Batman. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what they did until, you know, Arkham Knight. Yeah. And, and even further so, they're still working in that universe, essentially. Yes. Now, Batman Arkham Asylum was a game that fans were wanting, but did not know it yet. It put players in the new world of a Batman universe, but also had ties to the animated series. Rocksteady was able to deliver a grittier take on a Batman video game, but still stayed true to the lengthy lore of the Dark Knight's history. 
The story alone won over fans, but so did the freeform combat and Batman's use of gadgets that kept them in. It was clear that Rocksteady set the new standard for superhero video games that players haven't seen since Neversoft's Spider-Man 2. The world was ready for what they could do next. Mm-hmm. And they did. <laughs> they delivered again. But but that's not what we're talking about right now. Right now we're talking about why did we choose this game to cover? Why did we decide Finish the Fight needs to cover the story of Batman Arkham Asylum? Alex, as always, please start us off. Now this, I will say this in all fairness, Jesse was the one who strongly recommended this at the beginning. It's like, um, I almost really like these superhero games and I'm always like, this is what we need to do. And I agreed with him this one. This one I will mm-hmm. agree with him. I, I absolutely love the Arkham series, but let's just talk about Arkham Asylum at a start. Mm-hmm. Such a, a game changer that came out because around this time, there really, in my in my opinion, wasn't much of a superhero market that was fun to play. You know, you did have your Spider-Mans, you had, you know, your X-Men's. You did have some other stuff that was more on the Marvel side. But as far as DC, it was pretty lackluster. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to limp on after that Superman game that they came out with. Like All the Superman games they came out yeah, with. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's tough with that. But getting into this, and one of my biggest reasons of, of, of really picking this is the legacy it leaves in not only the Arkham series, but the legacy it leaves into Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Because shortly after we see this, Warner Brothers begins and develops some stuff for Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And that we see Shadow of Mordor. Shadow of Mordor takes the exact same concept battle system that they have and the idea of how Batman does it, changes it up, obviously, to be Lord of the Rings for a man of Gondor, and <laughs> does it beautifully. And that's yes. all because we saw it here with Rocksteady. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones who are fully to blame but good blame, blame and thank for the series that has continued over there, for the major influences that other games have taken in their combat system when it comes to third-person kind of action mm-hmm. adventure and to to really keep it going. And I'm going to have to put this up there with Nolan's Batman series, with his trilogy, that these two really help save DC in terms of graphic media. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the screen, for for whether it be movies, whether it be for games. Absolutely. These two combined really revitalized it and really helped, you know, the DCU, the, D, the, the DCCU? Let's say the DCCU. <laughs> you know, the DC uh, comic universe flourish mm-hmm. and, and helped the other movies come out, helped the, the Aquamans and the Wonder Womans and the Supermans come out again and to bring Justice League. And without... Any of this Batman content, it, it wouldn't have been. Because the Dark Knight movie has gone down one of the best movies of all time. Mm-hmm. On top of that, you're getting Arkham Asylum, which has gone down as one of the best video games of all time. Yes. So these two single-handedly, in my opinion, drove those sales for DC, drove the vision back to DC, mm-hmm. and really put a challenge Marvel for some of that stuff. Because Marvel at this time is really starting up their Marvel Universe. Yes. DC has to do something. Mm-hmm. And they did it with Arkham Asylum. Not only is it amazing combat, as I'm going to keep saying, fun story. I thought the characters were fleshed out and very interesting. I thought the inclusion of the Riddler was an interesting way for those monotonous side quests to actually mm-hmm. be interesting, monotonous collectibles to be interesting. Yes. And for those to continue and the ideas to flourish into City was exponentially readily available for all of us to love and enjoy. Now, I will agree, as we had said, 
the boss battles were kind of lackluster. They mm-hmm. did somewhat challenge the things you're learning, like jump on a gargoyle, jump down, hide, jump out. But for the most part, it was just a thing you got over. Yeah, well, Croc was just literally running away from him yep. on pallets. Yes. In, in the sewers. Uh, and then everyone else was just dodge while they're coming at you and then punch a few times. Like, they didn't really innovate on them well. Like, they, no. And that that's one of my biggest complaints about the game. Because for me, this game, I, I love, I'm not the biggest comic guy anymore. When, when I was a kid, I was. Mm-hmm. But I always still loved Batman. I played, like, one or two of the older games. I was like, God, these suck. Like they're, And I played the Batman Begins one because mm-hmm. I was excited about that. I was like, this is worse. Don't even do this one. And so there was just something about this. You know, the the horror and gothic feel that kind of was really appealing to me like it was like with the Tim Burton movies. Mm-hmm. And again, the first time you you, you pl- uh, plugged it in and, and you heard that title screen and those horns come in and you just know right there and then you're in for an experience well to not tie it in to not tie mm -hmm. it in was this is really one of the first ones in modern gaming era that wasn't just a straight tie-in that was Mm -hmm. just going to be like oh here's the movie you know christopher nolan batman it's now here again Mm -hmm. but in game form you know it's it's not something that was disappointment it's something that can stand on its own and we've seen that more and more and more in modern gaming Mm -hmm. you know that they're giving studios a lot more freedom to say hey we trust you with our ip we trust that you're going to do it honestly. You're going to do it proud. Mm-hmm. Do what you want to do. Yeah, and the fact that they also brought in Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill mm-hmm. to to give you that nostalgic factor of you know arguably you know one of the best Batman's and the best Joker's out there, mm-hmm. and just deliver on that experience. You know, with it, the combat and as you said, the side missions, the music, and, and for those who wanted to, the challenge rooms as well. You know, I had friends who did those challenge rooms because. My friend group, you know, in high school, we were all enthralled by this. We were amazed by this game, and we were automatically, like, so excited when we found out that there was going to be, you know, Arkham City. Mm -hmm. But this game set that modern standard, I guess, for uh, superhero games. Not modern, but I guess, you know, this next generation of them. And we're still seeing continuations of it because now we have the Suicide Squad game, which is set in this Arkhamverse, as they yes. call it. So it's still going on to this day. This game, in my opinion, it is one of my favorite games of all time. It's on my top 10. I probably find myself replaying this in City once a year. Like, I love these games. I love taking it to this familiar place. And, and it still holds up. And I think to this day, developers are going to look back on this, especially with some you know superhero IPs coming out. Of looking at this game and say, what did they do right, and yes. how how can we how can we capture that magic? You know, to me, Rocksteady did this game justice. They did Batman justice, and and honestly, for me, I'll I'll rate this game. I'm going to say nine point three or nine point four. Mm. My my biggest pain point is those boss battles. You know, with Bane, with Scarecrow. Even Venom Joker, who is like has a mohawk and like the world's yeah. longest chin, and like his rib cages are coming out, and he has giant claws, and like it's just dodging and throwing things at him. You know, it's like, or, or no, it's like you throw things at other people, but it's like he gets up and you have to pull him down, and he gets stuck with his nails, and you just punch yeah. him. It's, it's 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 an oddity, and 
a lot of video games I know have suffered from boss fights, especially the superhero ones. Mm-hmm. They they definitely suffer from it. They make up for it in, in, in a lot of other places. Um, but as far as this, definitely a tough time with the boss battles. But that aside, the rest of the game is is near perfect. Oh, absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. And and this is one of the few times where basically you and I are agreeing just about everything. We this game is timeless in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if I had to give this a rating, hit me with it. If I had to give this a rating, I would probably give it Poison Ivy, who's a cool character in the game. Mm-hmm. Divide that by the amount of times I had to go in a grate. It's dirty down there. I don't really like that. <laughs> um, add in the cool phrases the thugs say when they can't find you because that's top tier. <laughs> Divide that by you bringing back terrifying memories of being there and having that dee do do chime go on. Dun, 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 dun. Don't like that. Get that out of here. <laughs> Terrifying. But equal that um, to really what it takes to be Batman, because that takes a lot of training. Mm-hmm. Um, so we saw that in Batman Begins, obviously, um, not this game. Um, but yeah, that's probably what I would say. And then probably equal that out of Harley Quinn throwing me a party because she did really well with it. Mm-hmm. You should be proud of it, honestly, Harley Quinn. You did really good. Um, Batman was very excited. He had to hide it because uh, obviously you're... you're your, your enemies, but he appreciated it. Absolutely. So, so I would put that out of uh, t- the the amount of capes he had. One? Yeah. All right, that was your score. Thank you. And that was Batman Arkham Asylum. Research was done by Jesse Reiners, Evan Barr, and Richard Scanlon. Cover art was done by Jesse Reiners and Jessica Wellickson, and music written and composed by Evan Barr. As always, who cares? <laughs> Let's jump over to the people we do care about, and those are our patrons. Uh, so again, Patreon helps fund this podcast and bring these fun things for you. It helps us you know, justify doing the research and justify mm-hmm. what we put in hours-wise to delivering you guys' content. Um, and we have plenty of really cool things uh, that you guys get in turn for supporting us, whether that's T-shirts, stickers, thank you notes, bonus episodes, post shows, private chats, private one-on-ones, cameos, whatever you guys want, it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to thank those who are supporting us today. And let's start with Charles Zitter, Tactics, Sky the Bear, Angry Canadian, Grant Dillon, Mr. Chuff, Kevin Fung Feliciano, DGamer1298, Alex Harper, Dilfix, Nick Hyman, Brandon Christian, Richard Scanlon, McChief, Big Papa Semechki, Grant ODST, Loki2014, Nathan Van Devoort, Climbing Spork, Mr1898, William Kroll, and Cameron Collier. Thank you guys so much for the support, and uh, we truly appreciate it. And be sure to find us on Facebook at Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast, on Twitter at FTF Gamecast, and on Instagram at Finish the Fight Podcast. If you have any kind of questions about the podcast or want to chat, shoot us a message on those platforms as well as our Discord. It is free for any and all. Yeah, if you want to send us some messages, I know what my score is. You guys know what my score is. Jesse doesn't understand my score. So if you want to give him numerical values... I I need to know these things because sometimes I don't know if we do agree on an episode or not. You should. I mean, you... I don't know these things. You've known me through this podcast long (laughs) enough. Um, You know, or, you know, what's the equivalent exchange of it? If I had to, you Mm -hmm. know, transmute, what would it be? So let him know that. And you can always catch me over at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's S-O-U-R-M-A-N-7-0. Or we'll be playing games either from the podcast, through the community, playing with you guys, through our game nights, plenty of other things mm-hmm. you can do over there. And be sure to find us on your favorite podcast platform. If you want to leave us a star and written review, we would appreciate that. That helps us with the rankings in the long run. But as we said, that was 
Batman Arkham Asylum from the legendary Rocksteady Studios. Please let us know if you liked the game, if you disliked the game, what was your favorite aspect, or what, what was your least favorite aspect of the game? Did you get all the Riddler trophies? No, you didn't. No, I didn't get the Riddler trophies. See? See? But, but that saying. doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Did you get the Riddler trophies? Let us know, uh, YouTube or anything else, or shoot us a message. But with that, I am your host, Jesse Reiners. And I am your host, Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. <laughs>